0: Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John, a comedy podcast about death hosted by myself, John Green, and not my brother Hank Green who is on tour, but instead my mom, Sydney Green. Hi there, John Green. Hi, how's it going?
1: Uh, It's going pretty well. I'm sort of missing Hank, but... I
0: I also miss Hank, but I'm very glad to have you here as a guest. So the way it works in this podcast is we answer your questions, we provide you dubious advice, and we give you all the week's news from both AFC Wimbledon and this week not news from Mars, but instead a recipe. Yes, I'm very excited about the recipe. I, I am too, because I just ate it for dinner last night and I thought it was delicious. I know, it was delicious. Who knew? So how are you doing, Mom? I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm
1: glad to be here in Indiana. It's a beautiful summer spring day. It's good to see the grandchildren. Yeah, nice to see you.
0: We're excited about the Indy Five Hundred.
1: We're very excited about the Indy Five Hundred. I picked out my guys.
0: Who are you? Do you even know their names? I do. Who are you guys?
1: I. You know, I. I have a personal love for Montoya just because of the Princess Bride, <laughs> the amigo
0: Montoya connection.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> and if not him, I do like Simon just because he gave you such a hard time in the Grand Prix.
0: When I drove the pace car at the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, Simon Paginot, with whom I am personally acquainted, uh, kept riding my bumper. He kept, I, I don't know uh, if he was just trying to warm up his tires or if he wasn't satisfied with the speed at which the pace car was being driven, but yeah. he kept roaring up right up to my bumper. It was frightening. I know. So I sort of kind of like the idea. <laughs> so, so you like him,
1: <laughs> and and then you know you can't help but not like the pole
0: guy. Oh yeah, James Hinchcliffe. Yeah, James Hinchcliffe. what a story. He's an amazing guy. Really great, a, lo- a lovely person. Very generous. Does tons of work in the community here in Indianapolis. So. Of course, uh, when this podcast is being uh, actually listened to, the Indianapolis 500 will be in the past. Yes. So uh, we will know- It'll be interesting who we picked, if we picked correctly. Right. Well, let's hope that it's James Hinchcliffe. Yep. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya. Yep. Or uh, Simon Pagenaud. Yes. That's who you're rooting for. That's who I'm rooting for. Are you- do you have similar or different? I have an IndyCar Fantasy League, so I oh, i, I root right. for the drivers that uh ended up in my fantasy league, yeah. um which this year means Takuma Sato, Jack Hawksworth, Ryan Hunter Ray, and Elio castroneves But I have a personal affection for Scott Dixon, so I'll also be very happy yeah. if he wins. Yeah, he's a good guy too, yeah. I know that's what people come to this podcast for, Mom. Yeah is, I do too. Is Indy five hundred analysis after the <laughs> Indy five hundred has occurred. <laughs> That sounds perfect. It's a great podcast. So, Mom, before we get to listener questions, I'm just hoping you can comment uh, on something that happened in a recent episode of Dear Hank and John, mm. which is that my brother uh, apologized for having destroyed Tuggle, the uh, the cookie jar that, in fact, is not destroyed and is still living happily uh, with you and Dad in Western North Carolina. That's correct. So tell us what actually happened.
1: Well, what actually happened was you destroyed... Well, Hank destroyed my last remnant of my college life.
0: Oh wow! So yeah. you had a cookie jar all the way from college?
1: Yes, that what my my one of my boyfriends had made and gave. It was his senior project, and he gave it to me, and and Hank broke that. So I cried some just because that was the end of my college career. This is like the last remnant <laughs> the of last college remnant. that you had. Yes,
0: that was it, and then it broke. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I thought we might start with a question um, about adulthood um, Mm. and what adulthood means. Uh, I'm going to be reading all the questions because I have the the computer. Oh, wait, Mom, I forgot about the short poem. You did. I was wondering. I'm very excited about this. I do have a short poem. You'll never guess what it's about.
1: Uh, death?
0: It's about death. Ah. You're correct. This is a beautiful short poem by uh, Langston Hughes, one of the all-time best short poets in my opinion. Um, he wrote... This poem is actually just called Poem. I loved my friend. He went away from me. There's nothing more to say. The poem ends soft as it began. I loved my friend.
1: Oh.
0: It might not wow. be about death. It might just be about um, a friend breakup. But it's very sad, isn't it?
1: It is very sad. I
0: love uh, the poem ends soft as it began.
1: I do too. Oh,
0: he's good. He's good. Mm, maybe... He,
1: Maybe you'll keep that one for my funeral. Oh, goodness gracious!
0: Must I? Must we go there?
1: Well, I don't know. It's a podcast about death.
0: Now people are seeing where I got the obsession from. (laughs) Okay, alright, so we are going to try to answer this question about so-called proper adulthood. This question comes from Jade who asks, Dear John and Hank, a few times in the podcast you have referred to proper adults, trademark, and I'm curious, how do you define adult? I'm assuming that adulthood is a scale perhaps weighing age and experience, not a binary. Do you agree? Am I, a 25-year-old woman with an office job before a 1K and great workplace benefits more adult than my identical twin sister who is a second year law student? Does it matter that I'm a minute older? What do you think, Mom? Well, you know, I'm still
1: uh, candidly thinking about the fact that my adulthood started when you guys broke my uh,
0: cookie <laughs> jar. So so the answer, <laughs> I think, Mom's answer is that adulthood begins when the last memory of your college boyfriend is destroyed by your children.
1: Yeah, there's something to that, isn't it? Yeah. Or, I, I feel like both you and your sister probably are right there in adulthood.
0: Yeah, I think you're just uh, making the transition. It's a, in my opinion, it's a long transition, yeah. and it ends yeah. when you can no longer plausibly say that you are not an adult. <laughs> you know? I think that's true, yeah. And, and there just comes a day when you look up and you realize that you are definitely not, not an adult. Yeah. And therefore, you must be an adult. Yes. Have you reached that stage? Uh, For me, the critical moment, looking back, was when I put on an outfit. I've talked about this before on the podcast. And uh, Sarah was with me. And I said, I just feel like I look like a middle-aged man in this outfit. (laughs) And Sarah paused for just like one second too long. And I realized that it had happened. Yeah. Yeah. But for you, it was the destruction of the cookie jar.
1: Yes, it was. (laughs) Now you know why I cried so hard and why you guys, even though you're so little, you remember it.
0: It is a very intense memory for me, although a faulty one, since (laughs) Hank and I both thought that we'd destroyed Tuggle, the cookie jar that was shaped like a tugboat, which is, in fact, in perfect condition.
1: Yes, it is. Well, the nose has been rubbed. The pain has been rubbed away from the nose.
0: Well, but still, compared to the the college boyfriend cookie <laughs> yes, jar, it's in great yeah. shape. Yes, true. Um, so, adulthood, in short, is a uh, is a process, not an event, but it is marked by events, perhaps.
1: Oh, beautifully said. Yes,
0: thanks, mom. You're welcome. Gosh, friend. you should always co-host this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, we've got oh, another gosh.
0: question. Uh, this one comes from Lauren. Who writes, Dear John and Hank, I am currently about two hours into a six hour flight from New York City to San Francisco and I'm sitting in the middle seat. I failed to lay claim to an armrest when we sat down and now both the people in the aisle and the window seats are using both armrests. Since they have clearly not generalized the Dear Hank and John movie theater armrest rule to airplanes, do you have any ideas on how I might acquire some armrest real estate any dubious advice is appreciated. Best wishes, Lauren. P.S. The attached picture was taken while both guys were sleeping. I cannot tell you how anxiety provoking the attached picture is. It's very upsetting to look at.
1: Oh God, oh. Mm. You know, this is why I've never divorced your father because he understands the armrest rule and he's always with me when we fly.
0: Okay, so one way or another, even if you're in the middle seat, you get an armrest. Exactly. Because you si- you're sitting next to dad. Yes. I think that's a really good... But, I mean, you know, <laughs> we probably just made Lauren's life worse.
1: Yeah, we probably did. Because now yeah. she's like,
0: great, I also don't have an, a, a flying yeah. partner.
1: Yeah, and I have been in that situation before. And it's just... Only I remember mine, I was next to a basketball player, so he's very <laughs> tall. <It's a laughs> so it was
0: more than just the armrest. His took. whole his it's whole his body. whole body. Yeah, but it's hard thing because he's also having an unpleasant flight because he's right. probably six eight exactly. in a coach seat. Yes, yes. So you, you, at the, on the one hand, you want to be empathetic. On the other hand, you are suffering, and it's hard when you're suffering to be empathetic. Yes. So but, what would you do in this situation? Well,
1: you know, I I actually would kind of look at both and look for the more empathetic one, and. Uh,
0: Lean over and ask him for the armrest. Oh, you'd ask. See what I would do. Or is
1: sometimes
0: uh, I would put my arm down, the
1: gentle nudge. On
0: if there's move. like one one eighth of an inch of the armrest available for my arm, I will put that arm down, and I won't make physical contact with the person, but my arm hair will make physical contact with his arm hair. Uh, brilliant. And then they get the nudge, and they're reminded: I am in the middle seat. I am the one who deserves these armrests. That's brilliant. Thank you, thank you. I don't like to brag, but that is what I do. I do not. I do believe if you are on the aisle or on the window and you use the middle seats armrest, that's rude. You're a criminal. Yeah, I think so too. It's just terrible.
1: And and I think the fact that your arm hair would touch their arm hair is a is a powerful statement of creepiness.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe in touching strangers, but <laughs> I don't mind if my hair touches their hair. <laughs>
1: Okay, that just creeps me out completely. Sorry. Have a little shiver there.
0: I'm sorry, Mom. Uh, All right, we've got another question. That was upsetting. I probably shouldn't have answered that. Um, Okay, Mom, uh, we've got a very important question from Hannah, who writes, Dear Hank and John, my senior prom is swiftly approaching, and I'm having a major problem. First of all, her senior prom has probably passed. So, sorry, Hannah, for not getting this advice to you in time. I'm sure you did fine. First of all, how do you even slow dance? Do you just sway back and forth? Is there any foot movement? How much space should there be between me and my date? Where does my head go? Help me with my problem. PS, you guys should crash my prom. Sorry we didn't make it to your prom, Hannah, but here is your belated dubious advice on how to slow dance. Mom? There's a lot of pause there because, you know, not so much
1: do I dance, but in my day, when I was a teenager, I would practice with my friends, and we would kind of figure out what was most comfortable
0: for us, and and that's what I would do. How long have you been married? Um, Forty years. Do you feel comfortable slow dancing with Dad?
1: No, I really dislike it.
0: You just don't like doing it.
1: I don't like dancing, and 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 no, I don't like no. I like it.
0: You know that, um, that famous sort of cliche phrase, dance like no one's watching? Never has happened to me in my life. Uh, that, th- for me, the issue is that if no one's watching, I don't want to dance. Exactly. Yeah, I have no desire to be dancing. Yeah. I also have no desire to be dancing when people are watching. But like when I'm alone in my room listening to music, I am not one to boogie down. No. I am, however... Hank! Years- Hank, Hank a, oh, oh my God. Winter Park High School's best dancer. Yes, he was. In 1994 he was voted best dancer at Winter Park High School. You know, I used to uh, introduce Hank on stage uh, back when uh, when we toured a lot together. and whenever I would introduce Hank on stage, I would list his accomplishments inventor of 2d glasses which render three 3D movies in a crisp two dimensions uh, founder of the <laughs> environmental technology blog Ecogeek. Um, and then I would say that the last thing I would always say is that in 1990, of six or whatever, uh, he was named uh, best dancer at Winter Park High School, which is true. It is. It's absolutely true and remarkable. And he's a good dancer. Oh, he's a great dancer. He and Catherine can be oh,
1: Yeah.
0: We uh, mm. somehow it did not come no. to my half of the family. No. Um, but as I am an expert in slow dancing, um, and uh, here is my opinion: just go with it. Um, just do what makes you feel comfortable. Um, you should sway back and forth, and it's okay to turn, I think, in a slow circle, so some foot movement. Uh, I, usually, I usually go in a, in a, in a clockwise circle. Um, and then, as far as how much space should be between you and your date, that's really a question of how comfortable uh, you are uh, with your date, and not something I feel particularly qualified to weigh in on. But I think, you know, just. Um, If you're not comfortable with them, it's fine to just hold a lock, lock the elbows. Yeah, I think just lock the elbows. Yeah, and just do not touch except hand on waist, hand on shoulders, and just keep that physical distance. But if you're comfortable, then you know you can you can touch. Yeah, I think that the arm lock also
1: is kind of a sweet
0: look. I I don't think that I'm before I got married. I don't recall ever slow dancing in a way um, that was. Mm. at all comfortable
1: no me neither no
0: um and still I don't love dancing but Sarah Sarah does like when we go to weddings Sarah likes to dance at, yeah know, I've noticed that songs.
1: yeah fortunately your dad still doesn't like to dance either so
0: that's nice it is nice I'm a little jealous <laughs> I wish I'd married dad <laughs> yeah he's real. well Sarah's nice too yes no I'm a fan of Sarah she's great <laughs> <laughs> um, you know we just Fantastic. celebrated our 10th wedding I anniversary. I know. It's so exciting. You know, it
1: reminds me of that magical moment of when we danced. And what was the song we danced to, dear?
0: Well, the podcast listeners know, Mom, because oh, that's Merle, right. ha- Merle Haggard do. just died. Yeah, he
1: did just die. I do. Uh, I heard that
0: podcast. It was Mama Tried by Merle Haggard. Yeah. I read I read the lyrics to Mama Tried as the short poem for that. <laughs> <week>. <laughs> that's right. You did. I forgot. <laughs> I had a, I had an Emily Dickinson poem all lined up and then it, uh, Merle Haggard died tonight. <laughs> Oh, Merle. Oh, man. All right, Mom, we've got another question. Uh, This one is from Akif, uh, who writes, Dear Hank and John, I'm about to graduate from college. I'm an international student from a developing nation studying in the US, and I've always planned to go back and use what I've learned over here to help people back home. However recently, my parents have been suggesting I try to get a job in the US and embark on a more secure life in a developed country. I can see why they'd want me to do that since there have been some recent incidents relating to radicalism back home but I can't help but wonder if it would be extremely selfish on my part. On the other hand, I've always tried to keep my parents happy and listen to what they want me to do. Thus, I am in a dilemma and in desperate need of some dubious advice. How do I make them understand that we should sometimes think of the greater good in a way that they would be supportive of in my decision? What a big, difficult, complicated question. I am really curious,
1: as your mother, and also, knowing you're a father, how you
0: would handle this? <laughs> <laughs> way, to, way to deflect. Way to, yeah, way to bring the ball over to my side of the court. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the truth is bad. that I don't feel like we can give great advice here because no. it isn't something that I have a lot of experience with. And also because I think it's a, it's an incredibly complicated, difficult decision. But I thought it was important to read it on the podcast yeah. because I think it's important to remember, uh, you know, the, the complexities of big decisions like that that people have to face when they're quite young. I mean, this is a young person who's about to graduate from college, uh, but has to make you know a big decision about the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, When I was traveling in Ethiopia, we got to visit with recently graduated college students, and what really impressed me was that to a person, they were committed to development. Uh, They were committed to, you know, education, uh, engineering, you know, fields where they thought that their talents and the privileges that they'd had as college students would really make a big difference. Mm. Um, And that's not something that you see as much, uh, I have to say, in the U.S. Like, when I was graduating from college, it didn't occur to me, how can I serve my country, or even really, to be honest, how can I serve my community? Most of it was, can I get a good job that's going to, you know, allow me to have a good life? And can it be in the world of the arts, which is the world that I love? There was something kind of selfish about it looking mm-hmm, back. Mm-hmm. Um I would have made a terrible mechanical engineer. Um so there is that. But uh but I, I just I thought this question really um really captured uh a difficult choice uh that that some people make um that maybe lots of us take the conclusion for granted.
1: Yes, I really agree with you on that. Um the this when you live in such a world of privilege <clears throat> like you and I ultimately do it's it's almost impossible to visualize and certainly it's impossible to give advice on such a very difficult except to say this is a time for you and your family to really join together in in love and in honest hard discussion
0: i think that's yeah that's really true somebody told me once that my privileges were like oxygen and that's very true it is very difficult to be aware of one's uh one's privileges i mean we all you know, have them to one degree or another, but um, but it becomes almost impossible to imagine uh, other people's lives. You just it it's just it's it's work, and if you don't do that work, it's extremely easy to assume that your life is normal.
2: Exactly.
0: All right, Mom, a uh, somewhat less complicated question. Oh, good. But I'll be interested to see if this divides us. Okay. This question is from Jones, who writes, Dear Hank and John, what is the proper phrase? Slice of pizza or piece of pizza?
1: Well, you know, when I was growing up. Yeah. In Alabama.
0: There was no pizza.
1: Exactly. Is that true? Well, we had Pasquale's pizza. Which was in 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 Crestline. Uh, Wait, so
0: you're telling me that when you were a child, there was one pizza place?
1: And yes, and mostly your grandmother would roll out bisquick and put some tomato sauce with cheese on it and call it done. So I don't think, and that actually, then I had real pizza and I went, huh. Billy Grace really actually did not know how to make pizza.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She was a wonderful woman. She was not an expert pizza chef. No,
1: she was not that. So, um, what did we say? I think, can I have a piece of pizza?
0: So you would say piece of pizza. Yeah, I think that's what I say. I also say piece of pizza, probably because that's what I grew up saying. Probably. But also because I really like the alliteration of it. It's sort of like saying yes. pizza, pizza. Yes. And I find that enjoyable. Okay. But I think, I know lots of, like in, in New York, for instance, they slice. refer to slices. Yes. Uh, you know, it's always like, can I have a slice? And you go to a yeah. pizza place and they give you a slice for $2 or whatever. Probably yeah, $3. Yeah,
1: yeah, probably. Maybe 5 yeah. Um Yeah. I'm always fascinated with the cultural differences and and describing things like, uh, you know, those things on the stove, the little round things. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you say that? Uh, I do not refer to those things. I don't have a word for them. I would love to have a word. Yes, Give me you know, one. no, the, gr- uh, the grill. No, that turns on, turns red, cooks the, the food. It's the stove called stovetop? No. I've never known what to call them. The grill, the stovetop, the burners? The burners. I say burners.
1: Yes, and you know what my mother always said? What? Billy Grace, what I called always called them the eye of the stove. Because oh, that's they great. look like eyes. That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: I think I should I think we should start calling it the eye of the stove. We should bring that back. <laughs> okay. The other regionalism I think about a lot is that I'm I don't know if this was true for you when you were a kid in the South, but when I was a kid Uh, when somebody asked me what I wanted to drink, I said a Coke, and then they said what kind, and then I said a Sprite. Like, Coke was the word for soda. For soda. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: yes. Uh, This probably won't make the podcast, but I had a friend whose job, when they graduated from college, was to go around for Coca-Cola, and and he had a good palate, and he tasted Coke If somebody said if you he would go into a restaurant, order a Coke, and they would say uh, okay, and bring him a Coke. And if it was a Pepsi, he would write the Coca Cola company, and they would send a letter to the restaurant saying you got to call it Pepsi because they were trying to make sure that there was that distinction because people were starting to call soda Coke and that what was would affect their patent?
0: I think that's fascinating actually. where I'm super interested in trademark law, and one thing that all companies are terrified of is the genericization of yes. their trademarks.
1: Yes, that's exactly because what Because If for you just living. start
0: calling soda coke, then Coke loses the ability to be the only thing called Coke. Yes. That's why when we talk about googling, people at Google always talk about search. Yes. They never use the verb to Google. Yes, and you've talked about this before in your podcast. Do, do you do you remember when Hank was on a very important business call with Yahoo many many years ago, and uh, they were like, "So I don't know how familiar you are with everybody on the call." And Hank said, "Oh, I googled all of you." And they and then uh, immediately afterwards, this this voice comes over and she she said, uh, "We call it Yahooing." <laughs> 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 That's such a ludicrous such a ludicrous verb. I Yahooed you. Yeah, no don't I know. worry it's
1: that's, that's almost like a poem. I, I know yahooed you
0: I know your full resume <laughs> I yahooed you um, I'm, now we're going to go completely off off track okay and, because I'm going to tell the story of Sarah um, one of, on one of our first dates um, uh, Sarah grew up in the South, but she has a uh, northern family Yes. so she has a very interesting accent. she always wanted to sound generically American and not southern. But she grew up around Southern people, and this made her a lot of times put... The, she still a lot of times puts the uh, emphasis on the first syllable, no matter what, like insurance, or uh, umbrella, uh, or garage, or whatever. Yeah. But she doesn't have an accent. She no. just does that one trick. Yes. And so, uh, when I, on one of our first dates, she said something about... Uh, but she she's conscious of it, so she's always trying to, like, work against it. So she said something about Yahoo Mail. And I was like, <laughs> what? And she said, you know, y- Yahoo, the company. <laughs> and you just
1: wanted to go back.
0: Yahoo! <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know where you got that from, man. That's that's super weird. Oh, still. Oh, man. All right. Um... Okay, Mom, let's answer a few more questions uh, from our listeners before we get to the exciting news from AFC Wimbledon and your excellent uh, recipe. This question comes from D-Len who asks, Dear Hank and John, I am afraid of making phone calls. When calling or receiving calls from my family or my best friend, I feel fine, but other stuff freaks me out. When making appointments or calling strangers, I get really nervous and my stomach is in knots for days. I even sometimes ignore my phone if I'm getting a call from someone I know or am friends with. I usually text them later and pretend I was busy, but I feel bad about not answering. I also just really need to make calls every now and then, and I'd like to avoid this hassle. I know doing it is probably the only way to get over this, but how do I start? How do I make myself just call them?
1: Uh, well, I think, as you know, John, this is probably my one of my biggest issues with anxiety, and I'm terrible at this. I Again, you know, there are reasons why I'm married to your dad for 40 years. This yeah. is one. He'll make phone calls for me. Um, <laughs> And the armrest.
0: Um. (laughs) We now know the keys to a good marriage. You need one person who can make phone calls, and you need to have an agreement that whoever's in the middle seat gets the armrest. Yes,
1: and then the rest will all fall in place. (laughs) That's
0: terrible advice. Isn't this supposed to be dubious advice? Extremely dubious. (laughs) Okay, fine. Answer these two questions, and I will marry you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, please don't make them... Decision based on those. Um, So, yeah. So I really struggle with this. I still really struggle with this. And um, one of the tricks I do, because I really do um, get anxious about phone calls, is there are times in the day when I feel stronger, like between 10 and 1 o'clock are my strongest times emotionally and mentally. And so I will postpone those phone calls, but I'll write them down and then I will call between 10 and 1 and I get the great joy of putting a line through the name. And that's just one of, that's my trick. And, and the other is now that I'm 64, I give my, but you can't do this, this is really dubious advice, you have to wait till you're 64, <laughs> um, is um, I give myself permission to tell people that I'm sorry that I don't return their phone call and then communicate through text. Um, that's yeah. really not that healthy of a strategy.
0: Well, I, I mean... Know. Maybe it, it is. For, you know, you, d- you do whatever you, you need to do. I also feel somewhat anxious about uh, calling, having phone calls with strangers. I, I feel it much less now than I used to. Um, my anxiety has found other ports of call. <laughs> um,
1: I'm still stuck on phone calls. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, I have to say, uh, when I hired Rosiana. Uh, my amazing brilliant production partner the first uh, question I asked her is uh, do you mind calling strangers and she said no I like calling strangers and that was not a lie was, it, it is an amazing that it, is amazing to me it's like she has a superpower yeah uh, so like if I'm incredibly lucky that if I if I if I feel anxious about something like uh, about a phone call that I have someone who will make the phone call essentially make it <laughs> so for me
1: Rosie is your 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 dad
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I give her a uh, uh yes I guess so um but so like my mother, I have uh, an anxiety disorder, I have like, for instance, an incredibly hard time mailing things. It's very easy for me uh, to put the thing in the envelope, it's very easy for me to seal the envelope, uh, to put the stamp on it, to write the, the correct name, uh, the return address, etc. The part that is difficult is the part where I walk uh, to the mailbox, I put the item in the mailbox and I and I lift that little flag that lets the mail carrier know uh, that uh, I wish to send a, a letter. I, I recognize that this is ludicrous, right? That like people can do this. Uh, lots of people do it. It isn't physically uh, taxing, um, and I feel the same way about phone calls in a lot of ways. Like it's easy to minimize it because lots of people can do it because it's ostensibly very easy to do, etc. Except that it doesn't matter that it's easy for other people to do it. It doesn't matter uh, that um, that it's supposedly not hard. It is hard. Like, it's very hard for you, and you are living inside of the only consciousness that, that that you can live inside of. So if I treat it as a thing that's hard, that I am going to do, and that after I finish this hard thing, I will be proud of myself in the way that I am proud of myself when I do hard things, it somehow becomes easier. Like, I build up sort of rituals around it. I make it, I I, I, I take it into tiny little steps. You know, there's the step of dialing. There's the step of hitting um, hitting the call button. For me, there's the step of... Uh, picking up the letter and walking it uh, out of the house. And then there's the step where I open up the mailbox. And then there's the step where I put it in, the step where I close the mailbox, where I raise the flag, where I walk back feeling this immense joy because I have done this thing that for me is genuinely difficult. And so I think for, uh, for me, like that, that helps. But I think different things help different people. Yep. Mom, it is almost time for us to move on to the very exciting new segment where you tell us, how to use Dr. Pepper to make pork chops. Is that what we're making? No, we're making pork tenderloin. Pork, pork tenderloin. I apologize. I, not only do I not know what the eye of the stove is called, I don't even know what a pork tenderloin is, apparently. But, we but just you have, liked it. I loved it. No, I, I, I grew up eating pork tenderloin. I know, yeah, I know it. I know about it. Anyway, we have a couple of uh, responses from previous okay. podcasts that are very important, in addition to the fact that Tuggle is not dead.
1: Yay. We have a couple
0: other updates. This from Skip... But my writes, college life was. I know. Your college <laughs> life is dead. I'm sorry, Mom. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> this this uh, update is from Skip, who writes, uh, Dear Hank and John, in your most recent podcast, you mentioned the Yellowstone supervolcano and how John would like to move to Australia in the case of an imminent eruption. I would just like to point out that the world's most active caldera supervolcano is located in Tasmania. There oh. is no escape. Oh, God, there isn't. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, the good news, Mom, is that when the supervolcano comes, it will be an exceptionally slow death because really we'll end up like all dying of like starvation because the cloud of ash oh. will make it so there is no sunshine and therefore no crops.
1: Hmm. Boy, I'm excited about that possibility. So
0: we'll be desperate. Yes. We'll be terrified. Yes. There will be no internet. Yes. And then everything will end.
1: Okay, then. Thanks. Thanks.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for thanks for joining me on the podcast today.
1: And now we're going back into therapy. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> we have one more okay. uh, update. This one is from Cancy who writes, In reply to John's thoughts on writing his next novel completely in emojis, Mom, do you know what an emoji is? I do know. All right. There's those little things
1: that I they're supposed to mean things like Do you have a
0: favorite emoji? um do you use them
1: i do i really and truly hate all the smiley faces one just on general pr- principle because they're yellow and i don't like the color yellow you can
0: actually change their colors now but go on
1: <gasps> okay well that might make me feel better um i
0: like the snake one. Oh yeah you love snakes i do love snakes yeah my mom is a painter of snakes just yeah. a fan of snakes in general yep it's yep. not a passion i share with you <laughs> so few do um, I did come across, I was kayaking yesterday, and I came across ah. a small water snake that uh. was perhaps six inches long. And I thought of at least trying to photograph it for Henry, but then I became very anxious, so I didn't. Do you remember the time that the snake ate your fish at the cabin? I do. Yeah, I do. that was very upsetting. We had had this amazing fishing day. <laughs> yes, incredible. Like the best fishing day ever. Ever. And, yeah. um,. And then a snake ate uh, ate our fish. It was yep. very upsetting yep. and it was very gross to watch it yep. happen, and it yep. was a little bit traumatic. So, my two main memories from childhood breaking uh, <laughs> your cookie jar and the snake eating the fish. Uh, all right, anyway, this oh, is. such
1: fr- visuals. This okay. is from
0: Cancy, who writes In reply to John's. Uh, Thoughts on writing his next novel completely in emojis. I wanted to share that there is already a book by the artist Zhu Bing (sighs) that does exactly that. It's called From Point to Point, and it is a 112-page novel about the everyday life of an office worker. If you Google it, you can find images of the pages. It's surprisingly comprehensible. Not really a question. Really, Just love the podcast.
1: Wow. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. We have to look that up.
0: Well, I did Google some images of it. We'll try to put them on the Patreon. And, uh, uh... Let me show. I can show you what it looks like, Mom. Okay. And then we can show people on the podcast. But it is it is kind of readable. Uh, it looks like this. Isn't that cool? Oh, that is very cool. Yeah. So it's like it's a, it is just a novel in emojis, mm-hmm. which I do think, uh, by the way, I think is completely legitimate. I know yes, that lots of people totally. Yeah, I think if you can uh, use, there's all kinds of different ways to use language, and lo- language isn't uh, just made of letters. That's absolutely true. Okay, so. It's now time to talk about the news from uh, AFC Wimbledon. I'm so excited. But first, what is your recipe?
1: Oh, my recipe. Well, it's important to know that where this recipe comes from. Okay. Because it comes from Gracie. Right, my cousin Grace. Yes. And uh, we love the Gracie, as we all like to say. So Gracie's boyfriend, Trace Barnard, he's a chef in New Orleans. He owns a restaurant called We Got Soul. And uh, I noticed on his menu that he prints weekly that he had a uh, pork tenderloin that was marinated in your favorite soda. hmm Dr.
0: Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Well, it, it must well, be that, said, it, I, I, yeah, I don't no. love Dr. Pepper. I feel like it's a it's a little too rich for my palate. Yes. But Diet Dr. Pepper, not as good of a marinade. No, but... But you have to have that richness for a good marinade.
1: So you have to use you have to re- use the straight stuff. All right, so yeah. it's pork tenderloin. Yep, marinated in Dr Pepper mm-hmm. and uh, brown sugar and crushed red pepper and a vanilla bean and bay leaves. And you mm. cook it, you cook it, which is kind of fun to cook Dr Pepper. It bubbles a lot, and to, and reduce it by half, cool it off, put the pork in there, let it marinate for at least eight hours, and then grill it, and it's fantastic. Fantastic. I have
0: to say, I was deeply impressed. Oh, I um, was too. I that had, Trace, he's a, good, he's a good chef. I had low expectations, but I was very, very impressed. Um, today's podcast. Oh, it's brought to
1: you by yeah. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Not only good for
0: your taste, but good for your soul. Oh, there we go. That's a nice advertisement for Tr- Trace's <laughs> restaurant. Uh, and today's <laughs> podcast is also brought to you uh, by The Middle Seat. The Middle Seat. <sighs> You have the right to both armrests. And do it via touching arm hair. If necessary. Whatever it takes.
1: And this podcast is brought to you by the end of college. The end of college. It
0: doesn't really end until you lose your cookie jar. <laughs> and lastly, <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by a super volcano <sighs> set to erupt at any moment in Tasmania, Or possibly the United States. We have uh, essentially no way of knowing. Or if we do have a way of knowing, we we don't have a science person on the podcast right now to tell us that we should be calm about this, so we're going to panic. Okay, that sounds like a good strategy for the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mom. Uh, So the news from AFC Wimbledon is that as this podcast is aired, uh, I will be in London, with uh, Rosiana and uh, your husband, my yep. dad, and a few other people from uh, here in Indianapolis uh, at Wembley Stadium, a 90,000-seat stadium where AFC Wimbledon will be playing uh, in the playoff final for all the marbles. Right now, uh, as I'm talking, AFC Wimbledon has a 50% chance of having a 100% chance of becoming a third-tier English soccer team next year. Uh, the game... It's just, it's incredibly exciting. It's almost impossible to contextualize how unlikely this is. Uh, For instance, AFC Wimbledon has the smallest stadium in League Two, the the league they're currently in. Really? Yeah, Kings Meadow is the smallest stadium in League Two. And yet somehow they have found their way, uh, one victory... Uh, against Plymouth Argyle uh, from then having the smallest stadium in League One (laughs) I'm really really excited I mean obviously I desperately hope uh, that um, AFC Wimbledon uh, win the game Uh, if you see me at Wembley uh, please feel free to say hi um, it would be it would be great to uh, to be able to meet you. Uh, thanks. to I, I know lots of dear Hank and John listeners are going to the game at Wembley, which is so cool. Oh, that's cool. Uh, thank you for getting on board with my eccentric uh, passion uh, for this football club. But um, I, I talked to uh, in the last couple of days. I've I've talked to. Uh, uh, both the the founding commercial director of the club and the CEO and they're just they're so excited. Uh, they're so excited to be Nerdfighteria's club they're so excited to be playing at Wembley um, and I'm just I am looking forward to having a great day out no matter what happens uh, because it is already wonderful to have made it to Wembley mm-hmm. it's a massive massive deal for the club uh, both in terms of you know coverage and financially and everything um but obviously uh it will be an especially great day out if uh if the improbable happens and uh and wimbledon go up uh it would just be absolutely magical that's such
1: a great great story i'm so excited that you guys are going i know your dad is just really thrilled and the good news is he'll be there to keep you calm at all times. And if you need to make a phone call, he's happy to do it.
0: Not only that.
1: And he'll mail a letter for
0: you. He'll mail a letter for me. I feel like dad will probably give me the armrest. Yeah if it's an he emergency. Totally, yes, he will. So yeah, he's a good he's a good guy. Our, uh, I was gonna say our dad, but he's not he's not your dad. No. He's um, not. but I'm used to talking to Hank. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, thank you so much for joining me uh, on today's episode of Dear Hank and John. You've been my favorite guest host ever and the only one that I've ever had, but still my favorite. Ah, thanks. And uh, thanks to everybody uh, for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, today's podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our intern is Claudia Morales. Rosiana Hals Rojas helps us out with questions. If you want to ask us a question, uh, you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com or use the hashtag on Twitter, Dear Hank and John. If you want to ask my mom a question, uh, you can do that as well. You can just uh, use the same hashtag and I'll, I'll have her look for it. Um, but thanks uh, again for listening. Uh, oh, our theme music is by Gunnarola. I always forget our theme music is by Gunnarola. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am at John Green. Hank is at Hank Green. Mom, what's your Twitter? Mm, you don't really remember? Mm, I don't. Hold on, I'll look it is up for. It? <laughs> I'll look it up for you. <laughs> I think it's Mom Vlog Brothers. I
1: think it is Mom Vlog Brothers. It
0: is. It's confirmed to be Mom Vlog Brothers. Right now, on top of her Twitter feed, you can see a snake skin. She's not kidding about the snakes, people.
1: (laughs) That's how I decorate.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's beautiful. It looks great. Uh, Thanks again uh, for listening. And as we say in my hometown, don't forget to be awesome.